0: All right, so this morning, continuing the Breakthrough series, uh, I'm going to share on Breakthrough Confessions, and of course, just to set a little bit of a foundation of things. Um, breakthrough, of course, I would, I, I didn't actually go and do any like official dictionary lookup on that, but to me, it's a pivotal point. It's a game changer. Uh, something where you, you're, you're able to see, okay, there is this dif- difficulty, this difficulty, this difficulty, and then you have a Breakthrough. Confession, now that one I did look up because, of course, that's what I'm going to be sharing on. Confession is, they have a, under Merriam Webster, has one, an act of confessing, especially disclosure of one's sin in the sacrament of reconciliation. Point two, a statement of what is confessed, such as a written or oral acknowledgement of guilt by a party accused of an offense. And the third is an organized religious body having a common creed. And looking at as far as narrowing it down more, well, of course, those are heavily weighted with uh, religious and church history, but going from a site specifically for church history, confession is a manual of Christian doctrine drawn up in the form of an essay. And one of the early confessions is uh, Augsburg Confession, and that dates back to 1530. And also in the, the Webster thing, it talks about creeds. Now, creeds is more of a succinct um, summary of a principal article of faith. And different churches have different creeds, and the creeds date back much earlier. Like I said, the first confession, or not first, an early confession is dated at 1530. Creeds, however, the Apostles' Creed goes back to 215, just a couple hundred years after Christ. And then the Nicene Creed um, was actually kind of revised at Constantinople. Constant, the revisions were 381, but the official Nicene Creed would go back to 325 at the Council of Nicaea. So anyway, I spent some time just looking at some different things from church history with creeds and confessions, because partly uh, that's just what, um, you know, the topic is and what we're going to be looking at. But the other part is just from a standpoint of, okay, well, why? Why do we have these things? Why are these things important for us? And the kind of easy conclusion I came to is, it comes down to, okay, well, what do you believe? What are our tenets of faith? What are we actually standing on? What are we basing our experience, if you will, What are what's the foundation to this stuff? And uh, I, I will admit I'm not as much of a church history buff as, let's say, Pastor John. <laughs> but as I was reading these different things and just saying, okay, Lord, what do you want me to speak on? And how, what, how is this to come together for me to be a vessel to share? And one thing that stood out in church history, there is a, this uh, Moravian church. Now, the Moravian church um, goes back to ancient Bohemia and Moravia as far as geographic area. And that's currently the area of the Czech Republic. In the mid ninth century, the countries were converted to Christianity through two Greek Orthodox missionaries, Cyril and Methodius. Nothing really to do with the Methodist church. But anyway, this is going back to like the 9th century. And They went in there as missionaries, and there was a lot of conversion that they experienced. Now, sometime later, the Roman Catholic Church kind of came through, and so there was a little bit of tension because the things that were set forth in the ninth century weren't really lining up with the Roman Catholic Church, but just by the size and mass of the Roman Catholic Church, that kind of became the the dominant thing for a period of time. Um, And then there was some reform that was stirring up basically as a counter against the Roman Catholic Church. One particular individual who was in that area uh, was John Huss, and the time period of his life was from 1369 to 1415. And he was a professor of philosophy, and he was at the University of Prague. And the things that he was sharing on and the convictions of his heart and all those other types of things, he got a decent amount of following, not only from the students, but also just from the commoners. And, uh, oh, sorry, I I forgot one thing that going back to the two Cyrus and Methodists, Methodists, however you say his name, um, they converted, they worked on translating the Bible, the Latin, into the common language which was, again, uh, uh, kind of a taboo thing as far as the Roman Catholic Church that came in later. But anyway, that was part of what the, uh, a big source of contention between those two thoughts or those two approaches to what are we doing with this thing called Christianity? What are we doing with this thing called the Bible? So anyway, um, so John Huss, 1415. Um, And so the Roman, he started doing his thing, and the Catholic Church had already been kind of established there, so they really didn't like what he was doing. And they really started coming hard against him because he was saying, "No, wait a minute, we've really abandoned the stuff that was sent forth 400 years ago. And so that culminated basically in John Huss being uh, captured, burned at the stake in July 6, 1415. So he died a martyr's death. Few years later, but the, the, the thing that he had started, that he had set into motion, didn't really stop, of course, with his, and that's one thing, um, I've read a few books on martyrs and everything like that, and that's one of the powerful, like, for me, there's times where I get sucked into the, like, woe is me, life is going kind of bad, and, you know, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms, type thing, and going back, oh, probably, I think it was the late 90s. A DC Talk, along with uh, the Book of the Martyrs, had Jesus Freaks. And then there's the Jesus Freaks Volume 2. And so I would encourage, if you enjoy reading uh, factual, historical types things, they're very short, little few pages here and there, but they're just factual accounts through all kinds of years, all kinds of things of both going back to this type of thing in the early you know, 1200s, 1300s, 1400s, but even currently you know, with modern, people that are go through tremendous persecution, torture, and, of course, a lot, some of them die martyrs' deaths, all for the faith. And to read about what they go through, I'm like, okay, really? I'm like getting bent out of shape because the transmission of my car went, and that's $800 that I wasn't even expecting. I don't have to worry about being thrown in shackles and waiting for my head to get cut off or burnt at the stake or anything crazy like that. So anyway, that's a little bunny trail. Maybe that will help somebody out. So anyway, yeah, he died, burned at the stake in 1415. The Reformation in that area continued, though, and in 1457, there was an actual formation of a church that was uh, basically known as the Unity of the Brethren. started in 1457. Okay? And in again, if you're much of a church history buff, or you may already know this, but that date of 1457, putting it on, on the, the timeline of things, it's 60 years before Martin Luther began his Reformation. And some of you might be familiar with Martin Luther and the whole uh, 95 theses that he nailed on the door of Wittenberg. So it's 50 years, or sorry, 60 years before that. And a hundred years before the establishment of the Anglican Church, which was again a, a, a big kind of rift and separation from Catholicism. So this is pretty early on in those things. And uh, one thing that really stood out to me again, this was officially started in 1457. and they had about when that had started, there was about three, 300 people i think that were in that, that formative early church there in moravia i'm not sure exactly how large it had grown i think it was still fairly small but anyway in 1727 and these are these are kind of radical they're really devoted to the gospel they're really devoted to um, just living the right life actually I, i'm going i'm sorry i'm bouncing a little bit here but uh, one statement that, stood that, that a gentleman used to describe this group of people in the Moravian church, going with the early one, but they had stayed true to their roots, so to speak, is that what made a Christian was not doctrine or what he or she believed, but what a person lived his life, how the person lived their life, according to the teachings of Jesus Christ. He described the first Moravians as people who have decided once and for all to be guided only by the gospel and the example of our Lord Jesus Christ and his holy apostles in gentleness, humility, patience, and love for our enemies. And then fast forwarding a couple hundred years, 1727, the same church commenced an around-the-clock prayer watch that continued nonstop for over a 100 years. They started in 1727, and they had um, they would take you know, groups of people, and do, I think it was two-hour prayer watches, 24 hours a day, have people sign up for different watches, but they continued in this prayer vigil for 100 years, over 100 years. Started in 1727. By 1791, 65 years into the prayer vigil, the small Moravian community had sent over 300 missionaries to the ends of the earth. So they're, they're praying and they're getting on their hands and knees, similar to what Paul had mentioned, just crying out to God. Okay, God, what would you have us do? What do we need to do? How can we live our lives? Pour it out as an offering for you. So I'm bringing those things up and part, again, like I said, of the church history that stood out to me in relation to confession and what do we believe of ourselves? What do we, how do we spend our time? What do we prioritize? What are the thoughts that occupy our minds? Do we recognize when the enemy is trying to make an inroad into our, into our thoughts, into our hearts, into our souls? Romans 13, Romans 10, verses 13 through 17. I think, Pete, if you can put that up. says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? am just going to pause for a moment there. Of course, in that section there, Paul is talking about you know, going and, and occupying evangelism, and, okay, we, we need to have preachers, and we need to be sending, we need to be doing this work of the ministry for the purpose of our sermon, and I don't think it's too far of a... Of a uh, uh, too loose of a connection, but I, I would say, okay, well, how can I apply this to myself, and, and what, what am I thinking on? W- what, am I, what am I saying of myself? This confession is like, okay, if I, make, if I confess to something that's wrong, or I make a confession, I'm making a statement. And as I was preparing for this, really what came to my mind is, what am I saying of myself? Not only my own internal mental self-talk, but in actually hearing myself. A lot of times those, I mean, there, there are things that are negative that are spoken over us that can really become a handicap. And then there's times where, you know, you just end up talking and you catch yourself almost repeating some of the negative things that have been spoken over you. So again, what are you saying of yourself? Are you saying, are you aligning yourself with the truths of God's word? So anyway, continuing, how will they preach unless they are sent just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. However, they did not heed the good news, for Isaiah says, who has believed the report of the Lord. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. It's my encouragement and challenge, and I put myself in the same boat, is to examine how much time you're spending in God's Word. How much time are you... Especially the promises of God's Word. There are so many promises that God has given to us as believers that we can use to wrestle against the enemy when he's trying to come against us. Are we really picking up the full armor of God? Psalm 119. I have a few verses I'm just going to read that aren't won't be up on the screen. But Psalm 119.11, your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Again, the the battleground is so much with our heart within our soul. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Um, The scripture reading, verse 4 that we have from Psalm 139, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. So there, there is that point of God's sovereignty. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. He knows every moment by moment, every situation, circumstance, all of those things of our lives. But yet for us, we're walking through life moment by moment. And we have to somehow wrestle through and process in our minds, in our hearts, and our souls what's going around, what we're hearing, and what we're saying. God knows it all, but yet, you know, again, the the battleground is really in our minds and our hearts. And there's two passages in Matthew. I'm not going to read them, but I will cite them. Matthew 12, 33 through 37, and then also in Matthew 15, 18. In both of those places, Jesus is speaking, and he really puts out a difficult challenge, in essence, that the things that come out of your mouth are really the tail bearers, if you will, of what's going on in your mind and what's going on in your heart. He talks about, can a good tree produce bad fruit, or can a bad tree produce good fruit? What's coming out of your mouth is indicative of what's going on on the inside. Uh, I had, uh, in in preparation for the spiritual formation sheet, it's it's written there, I, I won't belabor it, but something that stood out in preparation for this was, the uh, trees and, and lumbering and all that type of stuff. If a tree gets a, a wound on, on the outside, external, the bark or whatever, a tree branch falls off, what have you. Anyway, that there's fungus that can come in from that wound to the tree, and then that can result in what's called heart rot, and it just impairs the tree. The tree the, the rots from the inside, and the tree can look fine on the outside. But then when a storm comes, when there's heavy winds, whatever, the tree does not have the strength that it should. And topples and just, you know, all that type of stuff. So again, what's going on on our inside and a part of that barometer is the things that we're actually speaking. So just to really reinforce that point of going and spending time in God's word, saturating yourself in his presence, listening to praise and worship music, uh, just doing everything that you can to avail yourself, being renewed in your mind, being refreshed, refreshing your spirit. Uh, as some of you may know, I've worked for a few months now um, with kids that... Uh, it's a residential youth facility. A lot of the kids that are there are placed there through CPS. So you can imagine that there's a lot of um, dysfunction that they've experienced in their young lives. Um, I, maybe I'm a masochist, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, whatever, but anyway, my background as far as work experience, I worked for eight years at Teen Challenge, which is a program for drug and alcohol addicts. I spent one year working with another ministry that is exclusive for parolees, just released from prison, transitional housing, spent a year there, and so I'm kind of wired for the compassion, if you will, but the, the people that can be kind of difficult to work with. And this is the first venue where I'm actually... I volunteered a lot with youth working with teenagers and stuff like that. That's really where my heart is. But anyway, this is the first time of actually now being employed working with these teenagers. And it can be stretching and it can be difficult and try my patience and all those other types of things. But one thing that God has shown me with two particular... Kids. Um, one is uh, probably well. No, the, as far, I don't know the exact terminology for, but there's a spectrum as far as autism, and he's mm-hmm. in that realm. The other individual at the beginning state or beginning, like he's not way out there autistic, but he's kind of in that range. Um, the other individual is not autistic, but he probably he has some type of um, learning. Disability, or they're, they're just, he's just a unique person. So anyway, <laughs> um, the, the one that's kind of in the, the autistic thing, he is very lavish with other people going, going out this way, very lavish with compliments. And with like, and I, I've worked, I spent most of September... Working in the the category, it's called one-on-one. I was exclusively with this teenager. I had to write down every five minutes what he was doing. For like an 8, 10, or 12-hour shift. Right with this kid. So I got to know him pretty well. And the things that... uh. So anyway, he's very lavish with his encouragement. And before I had worked there, there was a couple teenagers where I would I would, you know, I would just try to encourage them. I'd say, you're awesome. Just with something else. Well, he takes that to a whole other level. And I realized, I'm like, wow, this is a lot. But then the interesting thing was, if, he, if he's confronted about something that he shouldn't be doing, or, you know, whatever, but basically, then he will go, and any type of a reflective surface... He will, sometimes he'll actually say it out loud. Usually, he'll kind of just try to distance himself. If there's a TV, um, any type of reflective surface, he'll look at himself in that reflection, and he will basically either the mouth or actually speak absolute curses upon himself. "You're no good." He'll say his name, "No good, idiot." All these other types of things, and so I'll of course confront him on that. But it's just interesting that polarity of being able to, like anybody that he sees, you know, say the name. And you know what you are? You're so awesome. You know, he be like, Eric, you're the best Eric that I know. <laughs> He's just like all out. But to, to when he comes face to face with himself, nothing but. The other individual... This was just a few nights ago. I haven't worked with him too much. But anyway, um, he's supposed to be, he's been there long enough to get this kind of a status thing. It's called level two. But anyway, um, so he's supposed to be setting the example, positive example. He's been there for a while. And he was just like, it's, it's later, he's supposed to be in his room. It's well past the time and he's supposed to be in his room, getting ready for bed, all these other types of things. And he keeps stepping out into the hallway and saying just all kinds of stupid nonsense. Knowing he's not supposed to do that. I mean, he's acting like he'd only been there for a couple weeks and he's been there for several months. So, i walk down. Mom, what are you doing? You know you shouldn't be doing this and everything." other thing. He's to step back in his room. Okay, all right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. All right, you're right, you're right. So I'd be like, you know, you're supposed to be setting an example. Is this level two behavior? Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I wouldn't be three steps away blah, 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 going at it again. So i walk back over. He'd step right back in. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're right, you're right, you're right. This went on for like a half hour. It's like, oh, this is like really going nowhere fast. But yet, I mean, even though there's, there's that, that learning thing that's going on, it still kind of reminds me of what, how much, where are we at with what we say? So again, I, I just like I was like, okay, God, this is I. I've, I realize maybe not as obvious, maybe not as blatantly, maybe not as short of a timetable as what that young man was demonstrating. But yet I realize there's times where I will be, God will convict me of something. Wow, all right, I, I really dropped the ball. I'm sorry. Give me a little bit of time. And unless I'm undergirding the right stuff in my mind, in my heart, I'll be stepping right back out there. Back in my own same foolishness. I have um, a couple things I just want to close with. Actually, I'm going to r- rewind One point there. What I try to, when I'm working with these, uh, when I'm working with the teenagers, something that just got wired into me pretty early on. You've probably heard this statement before. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Similar with the second individual just saying all that. And I, I mean, I even kind of called him on and I was like, how do you, I've heard you say this so many times in the last 10 minutes do you realize how much you're hurting your own integrity? You've demonstrated that clearly you're not really sorry. because There's no change. People don't know how much you care until, yeah, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Just trying to exhibit that in, in my life, but that, where, where is that strength? Where are those things drawn from? It's, it's got to be drawn from my time and the challenge again. For me, I, I need to spend more time in prayer because prayers are very critical points to this whole thing of what's going on in my head. Spending time in the Word and saying the Word out loud and memorizing Scripture, all those things become um, avenues for us to be strengthened in that warfare so we can have a better confession, really stand on the right ground. And it's although the, the thing, big thing there is breakthrough, and we're looking at a pivotal point. The found, there has to be a foundation laid for that. If, if we're not doing the, the preparatory work, it's, God can do a miracle, but it's inappropriate for us to expect God to always be doing those types of things without us investing ourselves and in doing our side of it also. I mean, God is the one to have the increase, but we need to be willing to invest ourselves. In that. I'm going to read uh, a quote from this book I, I've been reading, More Than Conquerors. The author is Sam Gulbod, or Simon Gulbod, sorry. He has, he's talking about prayer here, and just in his own self-examination and like, okay, well really how tenacious am I being about prayer, or am I just being lukewarm with it? He concludes with this: Maybe I'll pray bigger prayers as I'm naturally to, as I'm naturally inclined to pray little ones. Maybe I'll pray more risky prayers, as I'm all too good at offering up qualified petitions couched in religious verbiage to lessen my disappointment if my will isn't done. Maybe I'll pray more specific prayers as I'm an expert at vague ones which are hard to see whether they've been answered or not. Maybe I'll pray more uncomfortable and dangerous prayers in case I've set the bar at a safe height and I'm missing out on more lofty exploits for God's glory it's going to just hopefully God will stir in us the ability just to have that closer examination and the ability to say, What am I using as the foundation for my life in, in this area or that area? And to be aligning ourselves more and more with the truths of God's Word and to invest time in prayer. Let's close with this uh, interesting little story point, so to speak. Three men are working, doing stonework and masonry on the same project. Each person is asked, What are you doing? The first one grunted, I'm mixing mortar. The second one replied, I'm helping build this great stone wall. The third one was asked, he said, I'm building this wonderful wonderful cathedral to the glory of God. All three people working on the exact same project, the exact same skill set, but the, the framework of what they were envisioning, what they were understanding, what they were a part of was radically different. And I believe the same can hold true for us as believers. What are we using to frame our thoughts? What are we using to frame our reality, so to speak? Amen. Let's close with prayer. And Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we thank you that you will never give up on us, that your love is overwhelming so much more than we could ever fathom or understand. Lord, you love us so much that you are not desiring to leave us where we're at, but to lift us and to bring us to better and better places. Heavenly Father, I just pray that, that, uh, that through your word, through the promises of your word, that we would be more and more equipped to hold our ground and to advance your thoughts within our minds and within our hearts lord your thoughts of grace and mercy and truth lord that you desire truth in the inward parts lord we ask that you would work all of these things in and through us so that we can be vessels of your glory more and more we can experience more and more of your victory in our lives to walk with more confidence knowing that you've called us that you have a plan and purpose for our lives Lord, that you have destined us for things to be done in this area, to transform this area through the love of Christ. Lord, we thank you for the ability to be plugged into this church. Lord, that you are doing your work through this church. We're members of this body. Lord, we give you all the glory and the honor in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen.